morning, Sunrise. Good morning, church. Welcome on this, once again, just like last week, on this beautiful sunny, sunny weekend. God has been blessing us, giving us little glimpses of spring around the corner, but then winter will laugh at us in a few weeks and give us more snow. But at least it's sunny today, so we can thank God for that. So, well, welcome to you guys. Welcome to our online folks as well, worshiping with us. It is a good day, a good, to be, a good day to be worshiping together, to be hearing God's word together. Um, this week, as I, was, as I was prepping these songs and thinking about, the, especially this first song, um, Psalm 46 came to mind, the first couple of verses of that. And it says, God is our strength, our refuge, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth should change and the mountains should slip into the sea, those waters may roar and foam, though the earth may, earths may quake and swelling pride, God is our refuge. God is our strength. So some of the words in this songs we start off, it says, just one word, you calm the storm that surrounds me. Just one word, the darkness has to retreat. Just one touch, and I feel the presence of heaven. So just as I was thinking about this psalm, thinking about these words, I think it's an invitation for us all to just take a deep breath, relax our shoulders and know that whatever we're facing, and maybe we may be high on the mountaintop right now, or maybe we're deep in the valley or some junk's going on in our lives. We can know that God's got our back. He is our refuge. We can give it all to him. We can relax our shoulders and just be. So why don't you guys stand with us? Let's worship and let's sing together. to retreat In just one touch I feel the presence of heaven Just one touch My eyes were open to see My heart can't help but believe There's nothing that a God can't do There's not a mountain Inside me. 
out this morning. Let it be our prayer. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like the power of Jesus. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like the power of Jesus.
Every part of 
Surrender it to you, Jesus. Let's take a minute to just offer up to God ourselves. Maybe there's something that you've been hanging on to in your heart that you haven't been able to give up to the Lord, or maybe it's a time of confession of giving up something that you've been holding on to. Let's take a moment in prayer. You are our refuge and our strength. And we can come to you in confidence. Knowing that you will hold us. You are our stronghold that we can stand on and be firm on. Life may be swirling around us and making things difficult and anxious around us. But we know that in you... We are firm. We are steady. Though the wind may blow and the storms may rage and the seas may buffet us, we are firm in you, Jesus. You are so good. So good and so kind. In your name we pray. God, you are good. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Good morning, Sunrise. Happy Sunday. What a beautiful sunny day. Two days in a row. I think that's been a record (laughs) this winter. Uh, Welcome to those of you here in the sanctuary. Welcome to those of you watching online. Beautiful day. Hey, today is Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, Sorry about the Bengals, Dennis. (laughs) Were you? I'm so sorry. Uh, How many of you actually watched the Super Bowl for the game? Not many. Me. Uh, how many watch it for the commercials? Yeah. And how many don't watch it at all? More people don't watch it. Um, I have a little injury on my knee, so I'm hobbling around. Um, I was preparing for the Super Bowl, and I was in the snack aisle at Myers, And uh, some woman tackled me over the last bag of Doritos. So, <laughs> Well, that's not really true. I probably shouldn't tell a lie in church. Um, but I'm rather unbiased, so I have some announcements today. Listen, my daughter lives in Kansas City, and so, you know, I'm going to root for the Chiefs. She was supposed to send me a jersey to wear today, but it didn't make it in time. So some announcements. Um, Our Sunrise Kids Day Camp, uh, early registration opens today. So there's information behind me about that. So if you want to get your kids signed up for that, please start uh, registering for that. Check out the website to learn more, talk to Julie, get your kids registered. 
and, or sign up to volunteer. We can always use volunteers. And then also our Lent discovery groups are starting Sunday, February 26th. Um, there's going to be some adjustments to the service. Dennis talked about that a little bit last week. You'll hear more and more about that as the weeks uh, progress as we come up to that. But service is going to be shortened a little bit, adjusted a little bit. We'll have donuts. So after the short service, the people will break, get some donuts, and you'll be divided up into some small groups. Get to know other people in the church and uh, get a diver, deep, deep diver, deep dive into the scriptures. Um, and I just have a little story. It's a good thing you guys don't give me access to the screen because um, I'd probably do a whole sermon. <laughs> but given that it's Super Bowl Sunday, I just heard the story. So I might be, you know, late to the dance, which I usually am. But this is about Tim Tebow. And uh, he was a two-time national champ, quarterback for the Florida Gators. Very, very um, vocal about his faith in Jesus Christ. He took some criticism for that. Um, but he, he was a Heisman Trophy winner, uh, first-round draft pick in the NFL, and went to play for the Denver Broncos. Whatever. <laughs> and um, anyway, he would wear the eye black in college, and I never knew that was called eye black, but that's what it's called. And guys would put uh, something on their eye black, they, their mom's name or their girlfriend's name or whatever. And so he started thinking about, and he really sought God about this, and he thought about... He put Philippians 4.13. So I'm going to test your Bible knowledge. Do you know what that scripture is? Dennis probably knows. <laughs> I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so people would Google that and look it up. Like, what does that mean? And just that little act of obedience, lots of people were looking it up, and it ended up on hats and stickers and shirts and and a lot of people didn't understand what it was, but he knew, and those that looked it up knew. And that's just a message that he wanted to get across. Um, well, at that entire season, he wore that, and then they were in the playoffs. They won the SEC championship, so they were going to be in the national championship. And so he really, God was really pressing on his heart to change the verse. And he really, really struggled over it and decided on John 316. Do you know what that verse is? Okay. All right. So I can do all things. Well, that was Philippians. Sorry. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and so on. And he had to get clearance from Coach Urban Meyer, who was very superstitious. You can hear this whole story on YouTube. But anyway, he got permission, put John 316, wore that throughout the game. So after that game, the statisticians came to him and said, you know, there were 94 million people who Googled John 3.16 after he wore that, which is kind of hard to believe that 94 million people didn't know what John 3.16 meant. But um, anyway, he, that's what he wore, and he, he, uh, that, that many people responded and wanted to look that up, which I thought was amazing. So then you fast forward three more years um, to that exact date, January 8th, this time in 2012. And he's playing for Denver against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And again, they won that game. Hold on. I got to get my stats. <laughs> they won that game. And after the game, um, he was again approached by the statistician and said, um, you know, it's pretty amazing. More people Googled. 90 million people Googled John 3.16 during that game. But during the game, he threw for 316 yards. 
His yards per rush were 3.16. His yards per completion were 31.6. The time of possession was 31.06. And the ratings for the night were 31.6. And it, it was the number one thing on social media at that time. And I just thought, God, you are so amazing. And he took just that little bit of obedience and he just impacted and touched so many lives that people could hear that message. And I think it's just our small acts of obedience or that one little thing that we can do to touch somebody's life that can really make a big difference. And he, of course, can make it on a big grand scale. But I just thought that was a really cool story. Just listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Anyway, I hope you enjoy your Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, the kids are going to be dismissed now, and so you get three minutes, and then we'll be back here to hear Dennis's message. As we step into the final movement of our Pillar series on this Super Sunday, as Debbie has so um, passionately poured salt in the open wound of my beloved Bengals being cheated and robbed two weeks ago. <laughs> Today we're going to be uh, moving into this last sort of segment, this, this last two little, little steps of our Pillars series. And so we've talked about what it means to be biblical, what it means to be thankful, what it means to be compassionate, what it means to be authentic. And in the next two weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to be evangelistic. And so uh, we're going to be taking our text today from Romans chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and head that direction. We will get there momentarily. But as we start this last piece of the conversation... Uh, I think the two quotes are in order, and probably over the next many years, you will hear me quote these two particular movies hundreds of times because I am a creature of habit, um, and probably half the time, the theology that I have is developed from either The Princess Bride or <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Quote number one comes from, depending on your sensibilities, either the beautiful elven queen Galadriel or the grizzled guttural mall of Treebeard. Depending on whether you watch the movies or read the books, the world has changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. Much of what was is lost, and none now live who remember it. My friends, the older that I get, the more that I resonate with the ancient elven or the even more ancient tree beard when they say the world has changed. There are times I feel like a foreigner in my own land because what once was is now no longer. The second comes from the swordsman Inigo Montoya as he speaks to the criminal mastermind Vincent Vicini when he says, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. My friend, the world has changed and that change has not only affected the world in which we live that's around us, but it's also affected the most basic building blocks of our society, language and words. I need to confess something that before I give an illustration using a colloquialism, I the, nowadays I run it past my children to make sure that I'm not saying something that's completely inappropriate and offensive. 
that the old gray hairs won't get, but the young people uh, will know. Uh, Just as an example, the world has changed, my friends. Merriam-Webster adds words to the dictionary every year, and over the last 18 months, these words have been added to the dictionary. Copy-paste. Copy-paste is what we tell somebody when we've told them more than once how to do something, and they need to do that same process again. Copy-paste is now in the dictionary. So is the word deplatform. Deplatform, a word that you can probably noodle through, but now it's been so ingrained in our society that Merriam-Webster actually lists it and has a definition for deplatforming. Doom scrolling. Some of you may be asking, what is doom scrolling? It's what you do probably every night that keeps you awake when you scroll through the news to find out all of the, the doomsday information that is going on in our world. Can I just kind of throw something out here real quick? This is an aside. This isn't in the notes. Friends, understand this. The world has always been as broken as it is now. We just have never had access to all the brokenness, right? Is that the world has always been this broken. There's always been people that have, that have struggled with some of the same things. There's always been all of these kinds of things that have gone on. But now the world is at our fingertips and we know and we can access. And the seedy underside of society is right out there in front of us. Here's a word that I actually had to ask the young people because I'm like, this doesn't sound like a word that I should say in public. But literally, it means a marshmallow and peanut butter sandwich, a fluffernutter has made it into the dictionary. FTW for the win, truthiness, meaning something that sounds like it's true, but you just can't find substantiation for that truth statement. It's a real thing. To be honest, TBH is also in the dictionary. But one of the words that hasn't made it into Merriam-Webster's dictionary over the last 18 months that is pertinent to the church, that is essential to who we are as followers of Jesus, that probably, that most certainly needs to be redefined, is the word that we're going to talk about today, and that's the word evangelism. Evangelism is an essential word to the Christian faith. But the problem is, friends, I think that in our society, because, world, because words change and words are slippery, word, this word has become to mean something that I don't think it means. I think that if Jesus and the Apostle Paul were to show up today and they were to look at the church and they would see what we do for evangelism and they would see how we talk about being evangelistic and they would see the moniker of evangelicalism that that hangs over much of conservative Christianity in America, I think they would look at us and I am almost certain that they would point their finger. Yeah, I think Jesus probably pointed his finger from time to time. And he would look us in the eye and he would say, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Because, my friends, words matter. Words matter. I am still an old, crusty enough guy to where I believe that words matter because words represent real things. But the truth is, is that words matter, but they're also slippery. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you were using the same words and you were speaking the same language, but it was obvious that you weren't connecting with one another? Have you ever had that kind of a conversation with somebody? And the reason for that is that sometimes word meanings change and word meanings shift. So what do we mean when we talk about we will be evangelistic? Well, I think that for for many of us, 
in this, uh, in this sanctuary, and, and certainly many out in, out in the world, when they hear the term evangelism or evangelistic or evangelical, what they think of is they think of a transaction. They think of, a, of, of an activity where somebody goes and they give Jesus all their sins and Jesus gives them the ticket to heaven and you got the golden ticket, right? And, and it doesn't matter whatever, whatever else you do with your life. I remember pastoring in the Baptist church when I was a young, young minister and I remember having these pain-filled conversations with so many folks who were relying on the fact that their children had prayed a prayer when they were six years old, even though they had never really followed Jesus one day in their life. And they were counting on the fact that somehow that transaction had made a difference. I I remember having conversations when I first moved here and and having people that are coming from a more Reformed perspective, and they were counting on the fact that, that someone, some preacher type like me, poured a little bit of water over the baby's head. And even though the child had never professed their faith, even though they had never followed Jesus. They had never become a disciple and such. They were, they were counting on an activity that, had, that somehow, some way, had been done for the child. They were counting on this transaction. Sometimes I think when the world hears the term evangelism or evangelical or, or, or even us saying we will be evangelistic, they think of colonization, where we travel over land and sea, much like the Pharisees, and what we give away isn't necessarily the gospel of Jesus Christ, but, but it's a, a, a way or a mechanism of being religious. Sometimes I think we, we think of evangelism and we think of coercion and manipulation, right? From my background in the holiness church, right? I, I remember that there, there, was, there was one guy when we lived in Lima, uh, Ohio, where Amy and I were, were, we moved when we were first married. I was pastoring there, and it, we called him the old preacher guy. And he would stand downtown. Has anybody ever experienced a street preacher? Right? And he would stand downtown, and you would, you would roll through. And, and folks, this is just me. Like, I would kind of crack the window because I would want to hear what he would say, right? And he would stand at a stoplight, and every time an unsuspecting car would stop, he would preach hellfire and brimstone for whatever it is, the 37 seconds that you were there. And as you were approaching that stoplight, like, literally, you would see people, like, they would drive really slow to try to get caught by the stoplight before, or they would speed, right? More people in Lima, Ohio, ran that particular preacher guy's stoplight than any other, any other person. But those of us who sort of grew up in that background, it was all about coercion and manipulation. You would try to literally scare the hell out of people. And therefore, evangelism then becomes fear-mongering. Words matter. Words are slippery. And I wonder, I wonder if what we need to do is we need to really begin to understand for ourselves what it means to be evangelistic and then to begin to live in such a way that we're actually living, hang with me here, the euangelion of God rather than the social construction of what it means to be a person who presents a transactional version of the gospel, who is a colonizer for a certain religious system, or who is, cursive, who is coercive, manipulative, or fear-mongering in the way that they present news about the Savior. You see, the word evangelism, my friends, if we really understand it, is inseparably connected to the gospel. Of all the words in the Christian vocabulary, the one that ought to be the clearest and most well understood by the church of Jesus Christ is the gospel. For it is the reality of the good news of Jesus that lies behind and beneath our concept 
of evangelism. To misunderstand what it means to be evangelistic is to misunderstand what it means to live and to share the good news of Jesus. I'm exercised this morning. I'm preaching a little bit, Joel. You get that, don't you, right? I'm I'm exercised because this is foundational, you guys. If we preach news that isn't good, what are we doing? Let's look at Romans. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 uh, through 17. We're going to read through this. We're going to make a couple of observations. Then we're actually going to talk a little bit about history and etymology. I know. I'm warning you so that I can presume upon your grace here in just a couple minutes. All right. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. The word here in Greek is euangelion. That's going to be really important. For I am not ashamed of the euangelion because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, this is, a, this is how the euangelion comes. First, meaning in order of. First it came uh, to those who were a part of the Jewish community. And then to the Gentiles. Second in order. Uh, 17. For in the gospel, the euangelion, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, there's, there's a ton here, and there's a lot of theological um, nuance packed into Paul's uh, admonition here to the church of, of Rome. But the first thing that I want us to see is that the good news of Jesus Christ, for those of us who follow Jesus, whether Jew or Gentile, first or last, early to the party, late to the party, baptized as a baby or, or, or prayed the sinner's prayer on our deathbed, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, is something that we must not be ashamed of. It is not... Um, um, a message to be ashamed of or to hide. It's not something to put in the back seat. It's not something uh, to, to be uncommunicative of. It is something that we need to bring out to the forefront of our life. For I am not ashamed, the Apostle Paul says, of what? The euangelion. Now, friends, I've got to be honest with you, and you're probably here too. There are all kinds of things that we're probably a little bit ashamed of, right? There are sometimes right, when I see Christians that, 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 that show up on, on television, there are sometimes I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised, right? Chris Pratt at the People's Choice Award about four or five years ago, where he gave those five or six statements about this is how you do, this is how you do life, right? I thought to myself, yeah, right? Debbie's example, right? But I've got to be honest, there's all kinds of other Christians that find themselves on the television or on the internet that I'm like, oh, dear God, please, can I get a witness? The gospel isn't something that, that we, we, we should or can be ashamed of. The second thing is that the good news of Jesus, my friends, we need to understand the fact that according to the Scriptures, it carries the power of God. There is something miraculous and there is something mystical and there is something powerful about the good news of Jesus. The euangelion of God is powerful, makes a difference in people's lives. Now, now again, we're going we're to talk and unpack what, what the totality of, of this is, but understand that when you and I minister and represent, when we speak and when we live the good news of Jesus, it changes things. 
It changes hearts. It changes people. Why? Because the third thing, salvation is bound up in this news. Salvation is bound up in the euangelion, not because the words are magic, but because the work has been finished. Because the words, the message is based in reality, that Jesus has done something and that something has changed everything. And that the good news uncovers the righteousness of God that is apprehended not by effort but by faith in the one whom the news reveals. I think this was a game changer for me. When I was in my 20s, I kind of realized the fact that the people didn't come to know Christ based upon my effort. They came to know Christ when Jesus, through the, when God the Holy Spirit kind of ran them down. Right? Where he ran them down and he found them, right? And, and there's, this, there's kind of this, this idea that I, I kind of have this idea that the Holy Trinity, right? They're just like this, you can't run, you can't hide. Right? And the best thing that I can do for people is I can pray for them, that I can communicate as, in the way that I speak and in the way that I live, the euangelion of God. But when it really comes down to it, right, when, when a person meets the Spirit of God in a way that they cannot deny and they cannot turn away from, that is in that moment where, um, as, as the old preacher and poet would say, where the hound of heaven chases down that which is his. So what does it mean? What does it mean to be a, a gospel kind of person? Where, where did we get this word anyway? Where, where, where does our word evangelism come from? And then, and then why, why does it matter? Well, what, what's interesting, we talked about, right, the world has changed. We talk about language being slippery. Um, how we got our word evangelism, my friends, this, this to me is essential, and, and it's dead interesting. Um, if, if you hate this, then just, um, if you're like Dennis, I don't enjoy this, then just pretend that you love me and listen to what I have to say anyway. Um, the, the word basically is, is a word that is transliterated. It's a made-up word. How, how does that make you feel? Evangelism is a made-up word. Ah, okay. There he is. He did it. It comes from the Greek word euangelion that was transliterated or taken into the Latin back in the middle centuries, um, and that was uh, evangelium was, was the Latin, and it was actually in, uh, uh, brought into English through the word evangelism. Um, transliteration basically means is that you, you, you invent or you create a new word that carries along the meaning or the message uh, that was uh, intended in that word in a mother language. So it's like a, a word in a mother language gives birth to a baby in our language, and we kind of make that up. So, so some of our big words in Christianity, they've been transliterated. Evangelism is one of them, right? It comes from the euangelion. Um, baptism is another, right? Is that we, baptism was a word that we didn't have, um, um, until uh, the church kind of was talking about, you know, baptizo and how that, that came over. Uh, Eucharist is another. We've talked about that. So a lot of these big, essential uh, theological words, right? So the Great Commission and then the two ordinances that we participate in, these are words that are transliterated. They carry along a message and a meaning. Being evangelistic, then, comes from this idea of being a person who proclaims or who declares the good news of God to the world. 
Euangelion actually makes an appearance in the Old Testament Scriptures uh, via the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. The word euangelion was used by people of faith, Jewish people of faith, before it was used by the Apostle Paul and the gospel writers to talk about declaring the message of Jesus. Now, see, that's really interesting, is that this was a a religious word before it was a Christian word. The translators of the uh, Greek New Testament, which was translated in the 3rd century B.C. or B.C.E., depending on your sensibilities, um, so about 250 or so years before Jesus was walking around, this concept of being a person who proclaimed or told the good news uh, was was present in Isaiah 61, the uh, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. This is how the translators... um, translate this, this uh, uh, passage from the Hebrew. Because the Lord has anointed me to, and they use the word euangelion, to preach the good news to the poor. So in the Jewish mind, in the Hebrew mind in the first century, they already knew what the gospel was. They knew what the euangelion was. It was to preach this message, this message of salvation, this message of Messiah, this message of that, hey, there is an anointed one that is coming, and in the case of Jesus, has now come and is going to make everything different. They would have understood what was going on when this word was used in synagogue or when this word was used among Jewish folk. They would have known what it was pointing to, and not just what, but who it was pointing to. But it might come as a surprise to you that the word euangelion didn't actually arrive from the Old Testament biblical text. It wasn't a word that was chosen by the Septuagint or or the translators that translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek in the third century BC. It was a word that was actually used, it was a military term that was used by the Greeks during that time, and they borrowed a military term in order to make a spiritual application. You see, the word comes, it finds its origin in in secular Greek culture. The Septuagint was translated after Alexander the Great uh, marauded all over the the world at the time. for the project of promoting Hellenism, the propagation of the Greek language and society um, via military conquest. And and this idea of euangelion was something that comes out of sort of Alexander's uh, Greek um, Hellenization project. And and, and what what it meant or what it was used for was that when there would be a great battle that would be fought somewhere is that there would be an event that would take place, right? So there was a battle that would be won, and in those days, right, you didn't have cell phones, you didn't have text message, you didn't, you, you basically had a, a, a fast guy that could run, or you had a fast horse that a guy could ride. And this meant that everything that was communicated was communicated via letter, and the fastest means of disseminating that was to put one of your soldiers on a horse, and they could travel probably about 25 miles in a day, and it would take sometimes days or weeks or even months to get messages back from. And and, and so what they would do is that when a battle was won, an event had taken place that had changed everything. Alexander had conquered a city. They would hand a letter with his seal on it to somebody who would ride 
back to uh, other cities in the empire, and they would read this letter or they would proclaim this. They would share this good news that everything has changed. Now, now imagine this, is that you are here and you're hundreds of miles away and your son has been conscripted and he has been taken by Alexander off to fight in this war and he's been gone for weeks and he's been gone for months and he's been gone for years and you're waiting and you're wondering what has happened because you don't have means to communicate with him and one day you see somebody, somebody with all the armaments, somebody with the king's seal and a letter riding back into town and and that person stands in the town square and you come and you're looking for news. You're hoping for news of what's taking place in the battle. Now the battle has has taken place weeks or months or, or maybe in some cases years ago, but you're waiting for that news and that news became known as you and Gilead. And when the writers when the translators of the, the Old Testament, when they're saying, how are we going to communicate to this Greek culture what it means to proclaim good news to the poor? I imagine they were sitting there and I imagine one says, ah, I've got it. I've got it. This is you and Galeon. This proclamation of, of good news, this is the best possible news. This is the news where the rider comes into town and he gives us the story. He gives us the message of victory. My friends, words are slippery, but words matter and words change. And the reality is when we're talking about this idea or this thought of being evangelistic, we're not talking about coercion and we're not talking about manipulation. We're talking about the fact, now hang with me here, we're talking about the fact that there was a battle that was waged on a cross at Calvary. And that the destiny of every human being hung in the balance because all of us had been touched by sin. And there was a battle that was waged and there was a battle that was won. And the Savior, the anointed one, this blessed one who has come to take our sin and our guilt and our shame, defeated death by surrendering to it and then overcoming it. It's an event that's changed everything. The world is not the way. There is an already kingdom of God that has been established through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have hope because Jesus has risen from the dead. We have life and peace with God because Jesus has taken all of our sin and all of our death. That event has changed everything. But the word still has to travel. And travel it has through time and through space. Year after year, day after day, person after person, it travels from one to the other, from one generation to the next generation. You see, the euangelion is about an event that has happened that has changed everything, but it's also equally about the obligation and the opportunity that you and I who know that story have to tell that story to those that are around us. To show it and to tell it. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the Apostle Paul says, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, for in the gospel, the euangelion, the righteousness of God is revealed. Dr. Ed Meters, who is a, a professor of biblical studies at Taylor University, puts it this way as he's, he's exegeting this particular passage of Scripture. He says that 
the first thing we need to understand is we need to understand that the gospel is about an event that's changed everything. But the second thing we need to understand is that the gospel is also about the retelling, the winsome witness of God's people to tell the story of what God in Christ has done, that we are, Christians are in the evangel. We have an opportunity that just as the euangelion was about the event that's changed everything, it's also about the retelling. It's about this communication of what has and what is taking place. Well, Dennis, what do, what do we need? What, what do we need to be evangelistic? Well, the first thing, friends, if we're going to be a church that's evangelistic, if we're going to be a church that participates in the gospel, if we're going to be a euangelion type of church, the first thing that we need to do is we just need to possess knowledge of the news that's actually good. That Jesus has changed everything. That all the sin and all the guilt and all the struggle, that everything that's broken in this world, that Jesus took that upon himself and that it's not so much about a personal transaction that Jesus is making, but that Jesus has come to defeat the works of sin, death, and the devil. That he has put them under his feet, but that also that we have an opportunity and an obligation to tell that story to those that are around us. You know, folks, in a world that, where, where we are crushed by bad news all the time, what does it look like for us to share some good news with people? The good news that there's hope. The good news that there's love. The good news that there's family. The good news that, that Jesus has come to make a difference, not just in us, but through us, right? What does it look like when we know the good news, when we need to be capable and then credible of communicating that news? Can I tell you a secret about being a credible evangelist? Are you ready? Be nice. If we will make it our mission to not be quite so jerk-facey, to quote me from a couple months ago, right? If we will be nice, if we will be kind, if we will be compassionate, if we will be the type of neighbor, right, that goes and helps our other neighbor, if we will be, listen to me, high schools, if we'll be the kind of, the kind of high school kid that, that, that just goes and sits with the kid that's lonely, if we'll be the type of person in the office that, that people will come and they'll, they'll ask us this question, well, why are you so nice and, and kind to me? If we'll be the kind of person that refuses to participate in the office gossip, if we'll be the person that is simply nice to the, to, to the young gal at the, at the McDonald's drive-thru that's having a really hard day, those simple acts of kindness, folks, they could just be being a nice human being, but for those of us who know the message of the goodness of Jesus Christ, they're also a means and a mechanism whereby we can live the euangelion of God so, so for this purpose. So when people ask us, why are you so nice to me? We can tell them with all the love and the credibility in our hearts, it's not because of me, it's because of this guy named Jesus. He's changed me. Right? I'm a little bit of a jerk. I'm kind of selfish and want my own way. I get mad when I misplace my hand sanitizer and blame my children for that. 
But there's this guy named Jesus. As the worship team comes, I, I want us to consider this. I, I want us to, to think through this. So what, what do we need to do to be evangelistic? Well, the first thing, you guys, is we just need to become, we need to learn Jesus. We need to become familiar with the fact of, of who he is and what he has done. The second thing is that we need to, to be about the business of being someone who is not only capable but credible to communicate that good news. And that starts with, dun da da dun loving our neighbor. And the third thing is that we need to participate in the process so that when somebody asks us why, that we have the courage to open our mouth. To open our mouth and to tell them. To tell them where Jesus met us. To tell them where Jesus found us. To have the courage to, to sit up here, maybe not from the stage, but but to sit across the table from somebody at a coffee house and say, you know what, in my most desperate place of need, I found myself on the outside looking in, but Jesus came running and he found me. You see, friends, that's what it means to be evangelistic. It, it doesn't mean that we fight the battle and we take care of everything, but, but, but the battle's already been won through Jesus. It, it, it kind of means we climb on our horse with that good news in our hand and we ride through town proclaiming the fact that Jesus has come and he has changed everything. Let me take one more burden off of you before we sing. It's not your job to save anybody. Not your job can't do it. We're storytellers. We're storytellers and we're trophies of the one true God. That we go into the places that he sends us and we make him famous and we tell his victory. And when people notice those kind and those loving and those gospely things about us, we, we muster the courage to say, well, that's not me. That's him coming out of me. To be a community that lives the euangelion of God, that acknowledges what he has done and makes it our business to live that out in the world. That's what it means to be evangelistic. That's what it means to be a gospel community. Father, we pray now for these friends. We pray, Father, that, Lord, as we sing this last song, as, as we give our gifts to you, Lord, as you meet us in this space, Father, I pray that you would... Um, you would meet us right where you want us to be. Lord, for maybe some of us, there's, there's maybe a little bit of conviction to, to open our mouth and to tell your story. Maybe for, for others of us, it's, there's a weight that needs to be taken off of our shoulders that we don't bear the responsibility for anybody else's eternal destiny. But we get to tell your story. So Lord, we pray that you would make us evangelistic. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.
poor, if I'm wealthy, I'll serve you just the same. Here I am, Lord, send me on the mountain or the valley. I will choose to say, here I am, Lord, send me. If I'm known by how I love, let my life reflect how much I love you. I love you. And before you even ask, oh, my answer will be yes, because I love you. I love you.
Oftentimes, if you want to know what the, the point of the, of the writers of the epistles are trying to make, they'll, they'll often use repetition, or, or sometimes they'll bracket things, and they'll say the same thing at the end that they say at the beginning. Listen to the words of Paul as he closes this letter to Rome, where he begins by telling us, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of life and salvation. He says, now to him, Jesus who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the good news, the euangelion that I preach, the message that I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings and by the command of the eternal God, so that all Jews and Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. And with the words of the apostle, God's people said, Amen. Go in His peace.